listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Good morning, church family. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans 8. Um, whether on your uh, phones or uh, with the written word, I, I feel like, uh, as in every Sunday, it's critical to hear it from the text itself. But uh, this morning, maybe even more primarily, and let me just set it up for us. Last week, when we started Romans 8, verses 1 through 17, the main question that Paul was asking in that section is, how does God relate to me in the midst of my struggle? The struggle against sin and this war that takes place in our flesh where we have a desire to want to do the right thing and yet an inability to carry it out. Paul makes an assessment of his life and he says, what a wretched man that I am. It's as though he's peering into the struggles of his own heart and even being used by God in significant and remarkable ways, he's able to look inside and see the challenges that he struggles with on a daily basis wanting to be more faithful to the cause of Christ and yet feeling like you just don't measure up. I know that I can relate, I can feel this pull of that very good description of the challenge that takes place in my own heart. I do what I don't want to do, I don't do what I want to do, and there's no health in me is Paul's assessment of his own condition. The road to growth, maturity, and sanctification is a process and there's just this inner struggle that seems to take place. And the application from last week is, well, God relates to us not from the standpoint of condemnation, which means that he approaches us more as a physician than a prosecutor. It's not as though the God of the universe is pointing fingers at us and saying, hey, look, you should have done better. You knew better. Do better next time. The reality of what Paul says in Romans 8 verses 1 through 17 is that it's relational. It's as though the Lord moves towards us in the midst of that struggle. That the honesty and the authenticity of our needs and challenges and frustrations and inabilities that we face is actually the very thing that moves God towards us. And he reminds us that we've been set free from the law of the spirit of death and we've been free to experience the law of the spirit of life and and it's life and peace that we're given, not this sentence of death that reigns over us and feeling like we're just never going to measure up. It's, it's this movement of, of God through Paul reminding the church at Rome and reminding us here this morning that God is not incapable of doing a deep work even in the midst of our struggle. He's actually inviting himself in to those challenges. However, now we move to verse 18 through 30. But primarily at verse 18, I, last week I had mentioned that I feel like I, I'm dwarfed under the grandeur of Romans 8. It's one of those chapters in the Bible that stands up there and feels like it's, it's hard to even consider summiting or, or fully grasping and getting a hold of the scope of this text. It, its enormity and significance and majesty is something that's worth being mined every day of the week. You could chew on its nourishment with utter regularity. And I still feel that way, but there's an added weight this morning. Because now what the challenge that we get as Paul carries through on his conversation is, you know what, there is something 
in your life and mine that would call into question God's relationship with me. I would want to believe what Romans 8, 1 says, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. So I would want to believe the truth of what Romans 8, 1 says. But Romans 8, 18 begins the discussion of suffering. Suffering is the one thing or one major thing that in ourselves and in our hearts would want to call into question whether or not God actually relates to me from the standpoint of no condemnation. Because we want to call into question, because often when we find ourselves suffering and life is just not working out the way that we expected, what is our go-to? Must have done something wrong. I'm being punished in some way for some ill. There is some level of sense inside of us that we feel condemned when we suffer right? There's some struggle inside of our hearts and minds that would want to attempt to convince us that suffering is God's way of getting through because our sin was so bad. He needs to show us how bad it is so that the awareness that we need to come to is such that it it gives us this indication of, of something and some way in which we don't measure up. And yet if Romans 8, 1 is true, which I unequivocally believe that it is, then we need to understand suffering. If we have a God-sized problem, we need a God-sized solution. And so we enter into this text of Romans 8.18 with that challenge, that challenge of how do I understand suffering if condemnation is not the way that God is relating to me? If it's not a punishment, It's not somehow God pointing his finger at us saying, see, I told you so. The questions of suffering, the word suffering even gives us this indication of straining underneath the weight of life. Like a bodybuilder trying to lift a PR on a squat rack and you can see his face and every ounce and muscle of what he's giving is to attempt to lift this weight. That's Paul's indication of what life looks like straining under the weight of suffering. That's what it feels like. It's the questions that you and I ask ourselves. How could this have happened? There is no way I can continue on. I don't see anything that could be next. God, you need to fix this. It is a mess. Whether in life or society, those are the proverbial questions that we find ourselves, or at least I find myself asking. And yet, this text comes on the heels of May 8th. Just eight days ago, we as a community within the context of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex watched on our screens as another mass shooting took place at the Allen Premium Outlet Malls. And we find ourselves in that moment asking ourselves, something's wrong. I don't know what to do or even how to think about this situation where people are murdered in cold blood. We, we see evil perpetrate on our screens on a daily basis of these things happening with utter regularity. And then we, we ask ourselves, and, and it, even in part, we've become numb to it. Because just eight days before that, there was a mass shooting in Cleveland, Texas, right? It's just day in and day out, there's just this evil that seems to be intruding into our constant and chronic experience. And we would believe, and 
and know that the Bible's sufficient for all things and gives us truth that helps buffet and encourage us in the midst of those things. But what better descriptor than straining under the weight of life? I mean, that's what it feels like. The things that we're seeing and the life that we're experiencing doesn't make sense. And there's part of me that wants to leave it there and to talk about the reality of how God enters into those absolutely chaotic, evil situations. But, but it, it isn't just left there, is it? You and I know that in the context of our lives, we can look at catastrophic human suffering and search for answers, and we want those answers and should look to the truth of the Scriptures for those answers. But you and I have other things that we're carrying as well. There is a weight of fear for many of us that is absolutely consuming at times that we hope to keep at bay or sweep under the rug, but something can trigger us, some anxious thought, some fearful notion of what might or might not happen, and, and we can feel ourselves straining under the weight of life. It comes in the context of challenges and frustrations with people that we love. We, we feel frayed emotionally. We find ourselves wondering if this is ever going to change, and we, we find ourselves just hoping for outcomes, just something to be different than what we're experiencing now. There's grief that many of us are carrying and straining under the weight of life. Many are straining under the weight of fractured relationships, uncertain future, previous and current wounds done by those people that we trusted and loved, straining under the weight of life. And I cannot and am unwilling to give you just patent answers to the solution of human suffering this morning. I do want us to realize that, that Paul does give us some very significant ways in which we can anchor ourselves in those moments. But before we get there, I want us to sit in the knowledge of this is precisely what Paul is talking about. He's not just giving us this idea of, okay, yeah, suffering, maybe in the context of Christian persecution. Okay, I can somehow relate, but not really relate. This is, this is Paul telling us about life and really about the character of God. If God is not relating to me from the standpoint of condemnation, then how do I understand my suffering? When I'm straining under the weight of life, how do I process the character and the nature of God in the midst of those things? Romans 8, 18 is his thesis this morning that he will end up proving through the context of these next few verses. All the way up through verse 30, he's going to continue to move us through the reality, but he's going to tell us right up front, here's what we need to know. Remember last week we said Romans 8 takes us on this journey from no condemnation to no separation, and buffeted right in the middle is how. How do I figure out life that seems to be filled with unpredictable, catastrophic, challenging suffering? When I'm straining under the weight of life, how do I process it? That's what Paul says in Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. Paul is saying that 
the sufferings of this present age, the current situation that you find yourself in. And maybe, I don't want to be presumptuous, maybe you're not suffering at this moment. You can look back and realize that there are places that you have or there'll be places that you will. This is an area of life that we all navigate in some context in the context of our lives. What he says is, as I consider, which means as I think deeply about the sufferings of this present time, his thesis is, they're not worth comparing to the glories that will be revealed to us. What he's saying is that for those of us that are in Christ Jesus, 100% of the time, the glories of what God is going to reveal to us is so much more magnificent than the sufferings we currently face. The challenges of our world around us, the animosity and the evil that seems to want to take over our hearts and minds and even capture us and captivate us with fear, uncertainty, and anxiety. What Paul is saying is if we think deeply about our sufferings, it moves us to reality of also needing to think about deeply about the power of Christ at work. That there are glories that will be revealed to us in ways that are shocking, surprising, and overwhelming, and 100% of the time, not worth comparing to the sufferings that we face now. Now, he's not minimizing suffering by any means. He's maximizing the power of the work of Christ and what he's doing. There is something so much bigger at stake, so much more to be able to understand as the power of God is at work in innumerable ways. And so that's his thesis is that 100% of the time, the glories that are going to be revealed to us are not even worth comparing to the sufferings that we currently face. But if that's true, how is that true? Here's what he says, and these words I think are absolutely critical for us to take on, so we'll take it in a couple of chunks. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in childbirth, in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so now Paul begins to give us an analysis of the world around us. And he uses imagery that is absolutely significant and applicable to our day and age. He's saying for all of us and any one of us that's straining under the weight of life. Let me show you the scope of what God's going to do. And he uses some great words. He said, all creation has been subject to futility, not willingly, but subjected to that in, in hope because there's going to be a freedom that's going to come. And here's what he says. He gives us the image of childbirth. Now, not shocking to you, I've never given birth to a child. However, I hear that it's kind of painful, right? I hear that it's not the most comfortable event that 
women can go through. But in the process of that, the image that, that Paul wants to set in the minds of the church at Rome and ourselves is that the pain is purposeful, that there's a joy that is going to happen at the end, that life will come out and there will be a significant celebration. And the pain and all of that stuff that was experienced throughout the journey will understand and be worth it as there's the celebration of this new life, this, this joy of this baby being born. And he says, as we find ourselves straining under the weight of life, here's what you need to know that God is doing. Life hurts. He tells us that we and creation itself is groaning. I love why he uses that word. The word itself means a collective sigh. It's like this place where you have and I have tried so hard to figure out life and it just doesn't make sense. Those sleepless nights, the tear-drenched pillows, the, just the frustration of all of those things and you get to this point and you're just like, I just can't do it anymore. That's the analysis of the world that we live in. The collective sigh of the universe communicates its reality that things just aren't working. But if you have a God-sized problem, you need a God-sized solution. And here's what he's saying. The earth itself, the world around us, will never, ever provide the solutions that are only found in Jesus. There is no other reality of what God is doing in the midst of the challenges and the brokenness we face when we realize that the evil that exists around us lives and breathes with inside of us. That the frustrations that you and I feel and the challenges that you and I experience are, are a clear indication of the reality that things are off. It's not working well. All creation and even we ourselves grown inwardly as we wait our adoption as sons. So what we get here is that there's an indication or what Paul is saying is that Jesus is currently involved in our suffering. Jesus is currently involved in our suffering. Paul says it in verse 26. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who are predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. In part, what Paul is saying here is that suffering is proof of sonship. <laughs> that in the midst of life, in the reality that we don't and can't have it figured out, that God is not expecting that our resources are what is necessary to navigate the world and human suffering you get this knowledge in this sense that God has provided an avenue and a reality of stability and respite in the midst of the straining under the weight of life. And what is that resource? Well, it's Christ himself. Right? There's a sense in which what Paul is communicating here is that we are suffering together. 
that Jesus himself is involved and intimately connected with the reality of our suffering, the challenges that we face, the uncertainty, the things that are going on in our heart, that he who searches heart knows the mind of the Spirit and, and is what? Interceding for us the will of God. And God's going to tell us, Paul's going to tell us uh, in, in the end of this chapter, or in, in the end of this section, what the will of God really is. But Jesus is currently involved in our suffering. Well, how do we know that? Well, I think it's because um, he's united with us in our sadness so that we're united with him in glory. He's communicating a sense of partnership. And why would I suggest that? The, the Bible tells us in this section, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That word help actually means to take up our cause. That The Spirit himself, the, the third person of the Trinity, has actually taken up our case. So intimately involved that there's a connection through the Spirit dwelling within us that He's taking up the straining of the weight of life that surrounds us to bring us to this place and understand that there are moments that we will face in life that we don't even know what to pray for, that you will be speechless before the God of the universe. You have asked and asked and asked and nothing has changed. You have wondered whether or not you're asking wrong or whether the things you ask are not the right things, and you've even said, Lord, I just want your will to be done. And yet, in the midst of suffering, we get tunnel vision that suffering becomes defining for us. And what the Bible says is your identity is not your suffering. Your identity is your sonship. Your identity is not your suffering. Your identity is your sonship, your, your familyhood, your relationship and inheritance with Jesus Christ. You are connected with the God of the universe who has all power and a breathed creation into existence, that you have life because of the sovereign providential care of God, that he loves you more than you can imagine. He's not averted to your sin. He doesn't pull away. He actually moves towards in the midst of our struggle. And because of those things, the very strength that you need to navigate the straining of the weight of life is found in Christ himself. It is not the desire for a specific outcome to say, oh, if God does this, then he's good. No, no, no. It's God's good, and whatever he is going to do is going to lead to this position and this place where we'll look back on our life. And here's what we'll say. I considered the present sufferings, and they were not worth comparing to the glories that will be revealed to us. And this is certainly heaven language, but I think it's also a current experience. If you and I took some moment in our past life where we've experienced a really difficult moment, whatever that moment might be, just capture it in your head, and then ask yourself, how did God work? And what you will say is, I never in a million years would have thought that somehow, in some way, this would have worked out in a way that was absolutely life-altering, but brought glory to God. I wouldn't have invited, I wouldn't have wanted to go through it, but God has used it in the most incredible ways possible. Spurgeon says it this way, there's no one in heaven that will bear a crown that hasn't first borne a cross on earth. That there is something that is caring that we are weighing ourselves with that we realize is part of our journey and in the midst of that journey and the challenges that we face what's the goal if you looked at your suffering and i looked at mine and i 
I had a, a movie screen of my life. What I would want to know at the end of that is that knowing Jesus and knowing him more intimately and his substance and sufficiency and power and joy and, and hope that he gave to me was so much better than anything that I experienced. So in part, the sufferings that you and I experience and the brokenness of this world draw us to intimacy with Jesus. And I mean intimacy in the sense of authentic intimacy, where you can say what you want to say. God's not averted to our frustrations. That we can communicate what we want to communicate, even in the moments when we're speechless before the God of the universe. If we have a God-sized problem, we need a God-sized solution. And that God-sized solution is Christ himself conquered the power of death, provided for us intimacy, used all of the things that were going on in the context of his earthly existence. He used all the sin done to him sinlessly to provide the redemption of the world. So what does he say? All of these things do what? They generate one of the most difficult four-letter words in the Bible, hope. We have a hard time in the midst of suffering seeing hope. And yet what Paul says is that hope that you see isn't hope. It's for what you do not see. Why does he do that? Because he wants us to know that the sufficient power of Christ at work on our behalf as the Spirit is interceding for our weakness, that the Spirit has taken up our cause, that he's praying and communicating with the Father about the reality of our specific situation. He's communicating about those things, and what's he praying? The will of God. Not your will, not what you want, not what I want. He's praying that God will continue, the Father will continue to accomplish that which he had set out, all of these things that are happening in our lives to see that he is so much better than anything this world can offer. So often, I think one of the things he's protecting us from is that we hope that the world can provide what only is available in Christ. I think one of the protections of those things is sometimes, in some way, if not often, what we find in and of ourselves is that we hope the very comfort we have in Christ we can find from things in this world. The very relieving of the fear and anxiety that strains us in the weight of life will somehow be relieved so what? This life is more palatable, more enjoyable, less difficult, and yet... What he's saying is if we look at it and put it in comparison to the canvas of the glories of God, the story that God is writing in your life is one in which he is the source of our hope. He and he alone. There's nothing that this world will offer that will be anywhere close or comparable to that which is offered in Christ. Nothing. A hundred percent of the time. Myself, this world, relationships, individuals, challenges. If you're looking to someone or something to provide you the hope that you need, it will always disappoint if it's not Christ. Always. 100% of the time. Why? Because all of creation is groaning. It's sighing under the weight of the challenges that you and I experience. The reality is God has given us himself that he is the source of our hope and the reason for life. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. He takes up our case. And so let me just give you a definition of what I think biblical hope is. 
I think what he's saying here is that biblical hope is that guaranteed knowledge that God has secured for us something better. That what you face right now, straining under the weight of life, is not life-defining. It's redemptive. In the hands of a physician, in the careful, loving, compassionate hands of the Father, your story is being written in such a way that elevates the amazing work of God in Christ through you and the amazing substance that what Christ is involved in your suffering, that you do not and will not ever walk alone. But the God of the universe, who has all power and all knowledge, knows all things, and the Spirit himself is praying on our behalf the will of God. That the goal is not to fix our problems, but to be transformed by the power and the nature of Christ at work within us. The world is a mess, Paul says, and this was thousands of years ago. I'm going to ask you, has that changed? Rome was a mess. Pride, arrogance, corruption, death, destruction, false worship. I mean, society is not getting better. Even, as we would say, we're more civilized and smarter than generations before. It seems as though that hasn't fixed the challenges that you and I face. The world has no answer for the problem of evil. The world has no answer for some level of transformation. The world has yet to be able to change a human heart. Only Jesus can. So if that's true, then in every aspect of our life, what's our hope? Our hope is Christ. And He does not and will not disappoint. So let me answer the very question that might be on your hearts and minds. What is God's will? What is God's will for your life and mine? I think Paul answers that in these last few verses. Here's what he says. Paul says in verse 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What is God's will for your life and mine? According to Paul, we've been pre-made to be formed in the image of his son. The goal in God's work in your life and mine through the present sufferings as we consider deeply the challenges of straining under the weight of life is the reality that those things don't define us as his children. He defines us as his kids. And so what's he doing? He's redeeming and transforming and absolutely remaking our own hearts in such a way that our lives progressively become conformed to look more like Jesus himself. And then we look at Jesus' life and say, okay, so what does that mean? Well, Jesus suffered. There were challenges in life from betrayal of friends to anger against authorities to injustice that was ripe in those moments to crucify the son of the living God who never committed a wrong. 
any emotion that you can experience and any challenge that you can face and I can face was navigated by Christ. Hebrews tells us that he can empathize with our weakness because he suffered in every way. That you and I have a Savior who is not just acquainted and somehow distant from our suffering. He's lived and walked in the midst of the very straining of the weight of life. And so it's not as though God is just offering good advice to say, okay, here's what I did. When life was really hard, here's what I did. Here's the formula. Here are 10 things that you need to do when you suffer. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says it's not that there's something, the 10 things you need to do when you suffer. It says, I'm not just giving you advice. I'm giving you myself. Jesus is intimately connected with our suffering. What the Bible gives us in these verses is the image of Jesus and ourselves suffering together. Imagine that image as it begins to redefine our current challenges of straining under the weight of life. He who searches hearts knows the mind of the Spirit and is praying with groans. The Spirit himself is groaning like we're going, that sigh, that collective weight. Even we see when Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, he had to know 100% that Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead. Why did he weep? Because the weight of the reality of what we face in this world, the straining of the weight of life, the destruction, the challenges, the reality of death that's at the threshold of all of our life, evil just making its way in, all of those things lead to death and destruction, the weight of sin and the challenges of even the universe being subjected to corruption. But why in hope? As we wait, the word wait in this text actually has a an activity to it. It's wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. What would that look like? <laughs> what, if, what if we took a second and we looked at the current situation that we find ourselves in right now? And instead of saying, God, you got to fix this. I can't do this anymore, which would legitimately probably be true for many of us, myself included. And what if we said, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. I cannot wait to see how you're going to figure this one out. I can't wait to see, because if I put my sufferings on the canvas of the glories of God, 100% of the time, they're not worth comparing to the glories that will be revealed to us in this life and the next. If we have a God-sized problem, only a God-sized solution will work. And that solution, it's Jesus and always has been. Let's pray. Father, many of us would agree with that assessment that we are straining under the weight of life. There are things that do not make sense and we cannot just uh, package it in such a way that it just feels better. It hurts, it's hard, it's overwhelming, and it, it has the potential to feel life-defining. But you, would you remind us this morning of our sonship? That you care for your kids? That as co-heirs with Christ, we are recipients of the inheritance of the kingdom whose riches are unfathomable and inexhaustible? Or do you have more at store for us than we can ask or imagine? And in those moments where we do not know what to pray and we have 
grunted and groaned and sighed with the pains of straining under the weight of life, Father, would we find relief in a relationship with your son, that that would be the source of our hope. God, would you help us to lay down those weights that we carry and take up the yoke that you promise us, that you are united. We are together in this suffering. Work it out for your glories and give us confidence that as I consider the sufferings of this present age, they're not even worth comparing. They're not even in the same conversation. They don't even have the same substance as the glories that will be revealed to us. For your glory and in your name, we ask these things. Amen. Would you stand up to your feet?